the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. We are fortunate to be alive at this moment in history. I can hear you. I can hear you. The rest of the world hears you. And the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon. The truth is plain to see. If you want freedom, take pride in your country. If you want democracy, hold on to your sovereignty. It's time for the Pro-America Report with Ed Martin of The Answer San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Great to be together. And um, it is a fascinating, fascinating week beginning. And we'll have a lot to say about a lot of subjects. Later on this week, by the way, I'll be over in St. Louis, Missouri. And we'll have a, I'll be having our Eagle Council. It's the 52nd annual Eagle Council, Phyllis Schlafly's Eagle Council. She started it in, in 1967 is really when she had the very first meeting. Um, and, and in some ways, you can judge it back all the way to um, meeting that took place in uh, January of uh, of 1968. And that was, <clears throat> excuse me, that was a um, a meeting that Phyllis Schlafly had, actually mostly for politics. She had been denied the um, the uh, presidency of the Republican Federation uh, of Women, the National Republican Federation of Women, and she was supposed to ascend from vice president to president, and uh, they blocked her, and they blocked her in 1967 is when the election was because she had been an early backer and an articulate backer, and in some ways the creator of the conservative movement uh, of the um, uh, uh, Barry Goldwater in 1964. Her famous book, A Choice, Not an Echo, uh, received, uh, she sold 3.5 million copies of the book, received a ton of attention, and they blamed her for it. So anyway, she was beaten in the presidency. They cheated. They cheated uh, in the presidency. They beat her back in terms of her race. And what happened was she had already scheduled in uh, her hometown of St. Louis, a gathering for her Eagles. And so she had to do something with the hotel. She booked the hotel. What was she going to do? And so she said to all the people that supported her, all the different political folks, hey, why don't you please come to town and uh, we'll have this um, uh, meeting anyway. And that was the beginning of Eagle Council, in some ways the beginning of Phyllis Schlafly's formal uh, efforts uh, to build Eagle Forum and her uh, conservative movement. So a lot to, uh, we'll have a lot of fun and a lot of interesting stuff. Some great speakers in St. Louis. If you have an opportunity, go to EagleCouncil.com, EagleCouncil.com. You can come uh, last minute. There are some openings. Certainly there's always openings at the meals. Uh, we start on Friday afternoon, late afternoon, and go through uh, late Saturday. There will be a Sunday meeting, but it's mostly for our Eagle leaders. Um so what do we have to talk about today? What, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, what I want to encourage you, 
is uh, head over to ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com. Sign up for the daily email there. And the daily email, when it comes to you, it will come into your inbox and it will uh, be the wink. And you say, what's the wink? W-Y-N-K, what you need to know. We dropped the two out. What you need to know or what you now know, as someone said to me, when you're done reading it, you will have the wink in your pocket. And so that email comes in 8 a.m. East Coast, 5 a.m. Pacific, and everywhere in between. And you get a couple of key details, a couple of key links, and one thought to sort of take you home. Well, I open the radio show, and this uh, becomes a podcast, and we mail it out. We put it out in all sorts of ways, and I talk about the wink. And what's today's wink? What's today's wink? Well, what do you need to know today? In the last three days over the weekend, uh, we have seen New Mexico Governor uh, Lou John Grisham come into the news because she has decided that she can suspend the laws in her state for a health reason, she calls it health reason, to be able to say that you cannot uh, assert your Second Amendment rights. Okay, so, but before we get to that, let me give you a little bit of context. I I, I actually meant to talk about him last week. Uh, Bill Richardson passed away. Bill Richardson was the uh, New Mexico governor for, I think, eight full years. And uh, he was a he was a um, uh, uh, lauded. He died at 75 years old, not very old. I'm sort of surprised uh, that he um, I, I'm surprised he passed away. I, I mean, he was he was heavy in his life, didn't look too healthy. Uh, but later in his life, in the last few years, when I saw pictures of him, he looked like he'd leaned out and he looked pretty healthy. But anyway, he passed away at 75 years old. And uh, we obviously uh, pray for him and and his uh, send condolences to his wife and uh, family. Uh, Richardson was lauded in in death and passing as having been a really successful politician. He he um, was um, the uh, congressman from New Mexico before he went back to be uh, governor. But in between, he worked for, as ambassador to the U.N., he had been in in high levels of government at all different uh, types, a Clinton guy. He had come in with Clinton uh, and um, and that's where he sort of accelerated his uh, career. And so he but he when he went back to New Mexico, one of the things that I noticed, and this is um, I guess he was about in 2003 is when he went back to me- me- become governor of Mexico. And by the way, he ran for president. That's another place that he got to a lot of attention. Yes, yeah, so I'm looking at the dates now. He was in the House. He was in the House of Representatives in the 80s. 80 to 97. So a long time he had been in there. He was in leadership and all. But then he was friendly with the Clintons. And so he became the uh, U.S. ambassador to the United Nations. And he from that, he basically became an expert in international affairs, at least according to himself. And they gave him certain things to help get people uh, negotiate uh, transfers of prisoners and all. But so. One detail, by the way, Richardson, um, I think he came from a family of some wealth. Um, So his father and they lived in California. Then they lived in Mexico. He had some Mexican heritage, but he grew up then in Massachusetts. He went to high school in Massachusetts, went to college at Tufts University in Massachusetts, played baseball, actually, on Cape Cod. So he was kind of a Northeast guy, went to work for uh, the um uh, political types up in uh, in Massachusetts and then in Washington. And he admits in one of his um, candid moments, he moved into Mexico. He did speak Spanish, but he moved to Mexico, New Mexico because he wanted to run for office. And he just went there and he went there. And a year later, he ran. He didn't win this. Two years later, he ran and he won. And so he started his career where he could, which is not uncommon, actually, you know, not uncommon with uh, political types. But 
here's what I wanted to point out. Lou John Grisham, the current governor, her name, Lou John, that's her maiden name, is from an old family in New Mexico politics for 50 years or 75 years. Judges and lawyers and prosecutors and U.S. senator is her cousin. But in the old days in New Mexico, they there were, were some Republicans that succeeded in a statewide office. There are still some locally, but it has become a Democrat bastion. And it really has been in the time of sort of Richardson in his career, his life is when it sort of shifted. It's not a it's not a place where you can get away being a moderate. It's a pretty Democrat place. And and that's my point here. Lou John Grisham, the governor, announced that she's suspending your right to conceal carry, your right to open carry, because she believes that there is an emergency and it has to be addressed. Now, my, it, what I'm trying to say to you is the, 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 um, the blue states have gotten bluer. The, the places where you can be a Democrat in order to succeed, you have to become even more liberal, even more that progressive is the wrong word, leftist. And so you, when you see Grisham do this, it's because in those states, you cannot, you cannot be, uh, a moderate. You can't get away with it anymore. And so she's not ashamed about it. She's got this. She's got an executive order. She says it's an emergency that you have to get rid of this. Everybody has to have their rights limited because it's an emergency. Hold on for it. Public health order. So she's assessing that it's a public health issue and she's doing an executive order, which includes her executive order, civil penalties up to five hundred five thousand dollar fine. Now, it's not yet a uh, criminal uh, matter, but I can guarantee you if you get arrested under this kind of thing, you know, it's like one of these things where you're going to they're going to find other stuff that you did or didn't do. I guarantee it. And so she's using and this is this is uh, to me, this is an extension. of This is what you need to know is two are two things. If I can, what you need to know are two things on this one. You're seeing the left go further left. In states like New Mexico, they have to sort of prove that they they, bona fides. They got to go all the way to show that they're really solid. They're good on things for their people. And also they are leftists, really far leftists. But the second point is, are you noticing that she's using her powers as governor to assess a health emergency? If you're not seeing the echoes of what happened with COVID, where people sort of exercise their muscles in power, those people in power said, oh, look at this. We can do things with a public health order. And now I'm going to say, why not? By the way, why not say climate change? Oh, my gosh, climate change. That's a public health. This is a public health problem. I'm going to do something about it through an executive order. I'm not going to wait for the legislature. I'm not going to wait for uh, the the federal government act. I'm not going to discuss it. I'm going to do use my power as an executive to change the way you live. What you need to know is what's happening in New Mexico, and there's a lot of commentary on it, and I think that it looks like it's going to be challenged and there'll be lots of this and that, but what you're really seeing are two things, the blue states getting bluer, and you're seeing the use of executive power. As an, This is an example, this is an extension of COVID and what happened in COVID because the, the, the powerful people in power, the powerful people in elected office and appointed office, have realized that they have the muscles that they can use. They, they felt it once, and they don't want to go back. That's what you need to know. All right, we'll take a break and come right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. 
Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. And uh, this, I made a list, uh, Colonel. Our next guest is Colonel Colonel Eric. And in fact, I should have asked you off the air. Buer? Buer? That's correct, Eric. Okay, yeah. Buer. And uh, Colonel Eric Buer. And I first, he came, first came on my radar screen because he, he wrote a uh, very successful book, Ghosts of Baghdad. And But he's also now become a commentator. In fact, uh, I, I was pulling my notes uh, for him. Uh, at one point, we were going to have him on. I don't know why we didn't uh, when there was the incident uh, over the Russian fighter over Syria. I don't know, it was four or five months ago. And uh, and I, I, we didn't. But uh, he has uh, served in the Marine Corps, uh, retired as a colonel. Book I mentioned, Ghosts of Baghdad, Marine Corps gunships on the opening days of the Iraq war. He himself was an aviator, a pilot. Uh, so welcome, sir. How are you? Yeah, good morning. Uh, I'm great. Thanks for having me on. Well, it's great to have you. So first of all, um, one of the 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 topics that we covered, we will cover, and your your people sent me some thoughts that you're commentating on is, you know, what's going on in the world? How crazy is the woke military policies? But let me ask the question differently. You know, you, you went all the way up to being a colonel, and, and during that, you would have had at various times to both keep guys and gals in the Marine Corps because you want them, they're talented, you don't want them to leave, you want them to sign up again, and also some version of recruitment. How hard is it to recruit into the military these days with the way the world is? I think it varies, uh, certainly varies service to service. You know, I'm biased. You know, the, the Marine Corps, you know, we, we do have to work hard at recruiting, but you know, I think we still have this draw, this sense of adventure, this sense of teamwork, this sense of camaraderie that seems to burn through a lot of the, the social kind of uh, chatter and noise we hear. I know the Army suffers. I mean, the Army's so much bigger and the Navy's suffered dramatically lately in uh, hitting their recruiting goals. It's always difficult. You know, These next generations, a lot of them aren't qualified medically. Uh, and so you're dealing with a smaller and smaller pool and everyone's competing for that talent. The uh, so uh, and now uh, moving a little bit more uh, towards uh, your book. I mean, obviously, we, you and I are talking on nine eleven, and um, that's the beginning of a period in in American history that you know led to the to the wars and led to your you know your your going over to serve. Uh, it's it, it must. I was trying to tell my kids who are all born after that at that date how uh, trying to describe how uh, the world shifted. How about in the military? You must have been what? Were you a uh, were you already? You must have been a lieutenant or a, maybe a captain at the time of. 9-11 and then life accelerated it did you know i was a major i was oh, a pretty you were yeah i was a pretty senior major and i'd been around oh. um done deployments in the persian gulf and somalia some other places that i would look back on in time and and see the influence of in this case al-qaeda in osama bin laden and his his uh his network so we pieced had a chance to look back in time a little bit and piece those together um as they supported operations really globally prior to 9-11 but 9-11 changed everything it, it changed everything for the country it changed everything for from a military's perspective, our focus and uh, there was, you know, a sense of justice that needed to be handed out. And that really drove drove a lot of things for us. Uh, our, our guest is Eric Buer, and his book is uh, available anywhere. But his website is Eric Buer, B-U-E-R dot com. All right. So today, today's uh, military, you know, today's what ha- I, I noticed th- this, this, this is a question I want to ask a guy that's an aviator. What happens in a world where there's all these drones flying, too? I mean, were you were you up in the air when there were drones trying? And can drones do anything to our 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 uh, helicopters and all other than make life miserable? I saw recently though there was a massive attack in in uh, either Ukraine or maybe it talked about as coming. Um, what does that What does that do? Yeah, drones are uh, they're very impactful. Uh, they can they impact every anything that packs airspace and packs anything that's flying. Um, the level of sophistication in the unmanned systems, as they kind of call them, or unmanned aerial vehicles, it really de- it depends, nation to nation, technology to technology. 
you know, U.S. drives it, right? We have predators and reapers uh, that have been dominant for the last almost 30 years. Um, yeah, the, the Ukrainians have effectively used gro- drones against the Russians. And, you know, I see their use and they're relatively simple drones, but the psychological effects are, it's almost like having a sniper out there. You don't know when it's going to, where it's going to impact you or how it's going to impact you, but it, it drives morale uh, down. So uh, even simple drones are, are can be, uh, be very effective. You've seen, you know, the, of course, the Russians using them, the Ukrainians using them, uh, North Koreans using them, the Iranians using them, attempting to influence our fleets uh, in the Persian Gulf. So they're, they're effective. Uh, they can be countered and we can counter them. Uh, but it's something that's a, a growing concern for all of us. Is are, when you say simpler drones, is it like the our our America's sophisticated drones? They can go in and drop something or 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 do something and get out. Are the simpler ones all suicide drones? Is it sort of a thing where you're going in and you're you're sort of land you're landing on what you're hitting with with some explosives with you? So that, that's there's kind of a spectrum. Uh, ours have very sophisticated uh, sensors carrying. Let's just say Hellfire missiles or some other precision missiles that have long loiter times, incredibly long range. Um, most of the systems we're seeing now in the Ukraine and uh, Russia uh, are more like a you know, suicide drones. It's kind of an interesting term, but um, they're kind of one potentially one mission drones. Will go over and they'll search with a pretty simple uh, optics, a pretty simple way of tracking a, uh, an enemy, and they'll drop simply they'll drop grenades. Uh, very, or they'll be uh, laden with uh, small amounts of explosives, and that's where you, you get some type of, of a suicide drone, where it's trying to impact those um, uh, those targets directly. And you see, not just in the air, you've seen the Ukrainians use them effectively uh, on these mini, let's just call them mini submarines, but they're essentially drones that are packed with explosives against Russian ships. Very. Uh, very credible threat. Well, and don't you think that sooner or later, I mean, you got to wonder what uh, I saw in an interview with um, Musk about his Tesla robots. Somebody's, and you see those robots, they're going to, they're going to strap a, 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 an explosive onto a robot dog or whatever and run him over across. Uh, I mean, all those things, I guess I'd say it this way. Um, if you can send in two men to fight hand to hand, or you can send a helicopter, which is what you were an expert in, or you can send a drone that has no pilot that you have to worry about or, or crew. It starts to become we're, we're going to pl- almost have a video game war. Now, I know I know we won't. I know there'll always be people, but it, it does. It does. It actually to me, it makes it easier for somebody like Ukraine, who is completely out uh, out uh, manned or out uh, classed in terms of quality of soldiers or number of soldiers. Let's say not that's not fair quality uh, to be able to fight this fight because you're sort of playing by remote control. It, it's you know it, it hasn't changed uh, a lot. No. Um, I, I do think back uh, in my again the first tour here we, we talked about in the book and in, in Iraq. You know the the idea is you want to put our strengths to their weaknesses, and that's right. just it's just classic. You know it's classic Clausewitz or Sun Tzu or just any good common sense approach. I don't want to fight man to man. I like to fight our you know mortar to man, artillery to mortar, attack helicopter to artillery. You just want to always uh, be in a position where you can leverage your strengths. And uh, avoid at any costs, uh, you know, uh, trying to have a level battlefield. You just don't want it. You always want to put your strengths again to wherever their most uh, critical vulnerabilities are going to be. Uh, one more again, uh, our guest is Eric Buer and his book website is ericbuer.com. I'll put it up there and, uh, and, and make sure to post. You can buy his book, Ghost of Baghdad, uh, anywhere you buy books, um, uh, available and, uh, been, been very successful. The subtitles, Marine Corps gunships on the opening day of the Iraq war. You know, something else real quick. I just have about a minute left that flagged in my inbox when I was getting ready for your interview. 
someone linked to three different incidents, the Marine Corps, the Osprey crash in Australia that people, the Marines died, which was terrible and some serious injuries, a pilot, this crash in San Diego near where my show originates. And then the other one was this military helicopter in Cheyenne, Wyoming. Uh, are we, is that the media? And, and uh, I mean, every tragedy is a tragedy, but we're not seeing more crashes, right? We're just seeing because the media and tech wants us to run towards clickbait. Is that, am I over, am I being optimistic? I, I mean, we're not seeing more uh, deaths because of crashes, are we, or are we? I, I'm not seeing an uptick. I, I have, I've, you know, I, every time there's a mishap, I am, I'm so uh, hesitant to make any judgments because, you know, those right. aircrews are doing the best they possibly can do at the time. And so, you know, you, you break those out individually. Um, the F-18 that went down in Miramar, a, a tragic loss. It's an old airplane. It's a 30-year-old plus jet. Um, it's, uh, you know, you look at those aircraft as, uh, as uh, professional athletes, right? You know, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're fantastic, but you start hitting 35 years old. They gotta, they gotta think about replacing them, uh, because they used very, very aggressively. Uh, the Air Force lost, uh, one of their UH-1 Novembers. It's a Huey. That's almost, it's probably that, that aircraft is probably 50 years old. Wow. Uh, and so you gotta think the materiel, uh, has some impact. It certainly does on, on readiness. No, it's undeniable. The age of the aircraft would certainly affect their readiness. And uh, having put those, all those aircraft and air crews really uh, put them on, on, on full burner after burner for the last 25 years, you, you have to recapitalize. Right. Uh, you need new aircraft. Uh, you, hmm. you need systems. Um, you know, again, I'd never comment on, uh, on an aviator, what they've done or not, haven't done. Uh, the last one you mentioned was the, the tragedy in Australia where three Marines were killed in an Osprey crash. Uh, that, that's still waiting to be seen. It's just, it's yeah. it's tragic and he lost it's tragic, yeah. tragic and yeah um, okay yeah. i'm i'm unfortunately i'm out of time colonel thank you uh colonel eric buer retired marine corps aviator uh and his book which is out and we'll make sure to link up to it uh check it out ghosts of baghdad we got to take a break though it's ed martin here on the pro america report back in a moment Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Very interesting uh, man to talk to next. I was asking him off the air about a little bit more about some of his in his previous experience. He was uh, a senior guy at Getter, actually one of the earliest uh, folks there. This is Kalen Doors, who we're talking to. He's also uh, the founder and CEO of Baldor Strategies. That's his uh, effort. And he is playing a uh, a key role now with Tusk. Tusk is the world's first truly free speech based browser. Well, we'll hear about that. So welcome, sir. How are you? Well, Ed, thanks for having me on, brother. I appreciate it. I hope you're having a great start to your week and uh, looking forward to diving in. Yeah. So how is it that it's the first truly free speech based browser? And by that, tell me how the other ones are so off and what, what the difference is with Tusk. Well, I think, you know, what we've seen in the wake of, you know, the censorship of the Hunter Biden laptop and, you know, all the nonsense that occurred in 2020, uh, there's definitely a need for someone without any bias to be kind of in this space, in the search engine space. Uh, and so, you know, I think the desire of the company uh, is to promote, yet again, that marketplace of ideas that once made our country great. Uh, you know, it used to be that you and I could disagree. We can come to the table and walk away without calling each other a bigot or a racist or whatever. Right. I mean, those are the good old days. Uh, and we want to, <laughs> we want to get back to that. So, uh, for anyone who's interested, test browser, you, you can search for whatever you want, same as you would, you know, Google or DuckDuckGo, and you can actually sort your results by, 
uh, political leaning. So uh, it's interesting. And we really think there's an opportunity to get this in schools, to get this in the hands of future generations and kind of steer the country back on track, get us where we once were. Uh, so it's uh, it's a very exciting project. Galen Dorr is our guest, and he is, uh, again, a senior uh, official, senior uh, staffer over with uh, with Tusk, and what he just mentioned. Also, he worked in both the White House as well as the uh, Department of Treasury under Donald Trump during the Trump presidency and helped uh, as the chief marketing officer of the 2020 campaign. How about on that front now? I mean, I saw a piece that they don't. it feels like the media still doesn't understand Trump. This time there was something, I think, in Politico where they said Trump, who absolutely loves attention, is doing this differently. He can't get as much attention. He's doing it differently. Well, I maybe except he's just going up, up, up in the polls. He's he's doing exactly what he wants, which is not playing by their game, but playing by the game of, first of all, winning the primary. I mean, I don't think anybody can see that the only thing that stops him winning the primary is is the Democrats somehow knocking him off the ballot or, or, or you know, uh, making him you know so miserable he doesn't run. I can't picture it, though. So, uh, you know, you were in the midst of a campaign in 2020, you know, uh, President Trump as president and now as well as a candidate. What's your what's your assessment of this? Uh, moment in the campaign. Yeah, I mean, I think we're we're truly at the precipice. The the, the left, the the bureaucracy, everyone—they're going to do everything they can to try and stop this guy. And I, I think we've seen them throw, you know, the entire kitchen sink and then some at him. I know he's energized. I know, uh, you know, the the campaign—they're running lean and mean, and you know, they're ready. They're, they're out with the vengeance, right? And I think that's the difference this time, as opposed to you know previous runs or or anything like that. Is this guy is is he's pissed for lack of a better phrase. And I think we all should be uh, to watch what our government spends its time doing, which is, you know, chasing phony conspiracies about the president and, uh, you know, propping up Joe Biden, whose son is a literal, you know, crackhead. And it, the whole thing is just nonsense. You couldn't write this kind of thing up. Uh, and so I think you know, they know that they recognize that this is a unique inflection point in our nation's history. And, uh, I mean, like you saw this weekend, he went to Iowa, uh, he, he hit up the Cyhawk game and, uh, he was received very well by, you know, crowds and crowds of young folks at those games. I mean, it's, we, we really are in a very unique moment. I don't think politics will ever be the same going forward. I think that's both exciting and scary in a lot of ways. Uh, we're talking again with uh, Kalen Dorr. He's uh, he's uh, founder and CEO of, of Beldar Strategies. That's his company, as well as works with uh, the uh, uh, the free speech based browser Tusk. Um, so uh, you mentioned uh, the Trump uh, out there on the uh, in the um, in the uh, in Iowa in this case amongst young people and all, and you can see it. But, you know, you, you were a getter for a senior guy at Getter early uh, at that company. You were with the Trump campaign. Right now, when you watch this, th- there is more control. I know Musk has made X sort of wide open, but, you know, they keep control of the media, of the narrative so tightly. It, it's hard for me to I just wonder if half the country's ever going to see a lot of what's going on. And instead, they're just fell, fed one message after another. And frankly, it's working. How how uh, how likely do you think it is that we can break through against you know the sort of power of what i call the narrative machine you know i think uh, elon's done a good job of exposing a lot of what's been going on uh, you know kind of with big tech and social media um but he hasn't been really a driver uh, of change in a lot of ways if that makes any sense he, we, there, nothing about the user experience is that different other than the company's got a different name and logo Right. Uh, there, there haven't been, uh, too many improvements that really increase transparency. 
Uh, we see the, the community notes feature is getting more and more popular and that's all well and good. But, you know, at the end of the day, what does that do to combat the, the work that you know, the far left has been at for, I don't know, 10, 12, 15 years? Yeah. Uh, it's going to, it's going to take, I mean, if you'd asked me before I took over, you know, whether or not he'd be successful, I would have told you no. There's no way, man. Uh, it's just when these things are built with bias in mind, uh, you have to do a lot more work and it's a lot longer term of a project and it's a lot less lucrative of a project uh, to go ahead and fix those things and increase transparency. So it'll be interesting to see how they handle, you know, election uh, information and stuff like that going forward, uh, especially as we get closer to to some of these primary votes. Um, I'm very intrigued by what the, what's going to happen, but I do think we as a movement finally have our eye on the ball on this front. And uh, if there's anything stinky going on uh, during the primaries, I'm sure we'll be able to figure it out before the general, or I hope we'll be able to figure it out before the general. Uh, we're talking again with Kalen Doerr, and uh, he is, again, a senior uh, senior staffer, chief marketing officer, actually, over at Tusk, the world's first tr- truly free speech-based browser. Um, one specific set of uh, sort of um, what I'd say is the narrative machine's uh, efforts is the January 6th situation, uh, Kalen. I wonder how you observe it as somebody who's watched, you know, again, being an early, uh, one of the early founders, earliest hires at Getter, uh, having worked in the Trump administration, having now been over at Tusk. You've seen, you know, efforts that are sort of outside, as you said, um, that are, that are not the, they're not of the status quo. They're challenging the status quo and how the challenges come at them and what they do, how, you know, Getter to me, the way they treated Getter was unfair, you know, characterizing it in the media i spend a lot of time telling my friends about it i say you know and they go, oh yeah no that's where this that and the other thing happens it's, it's just not true but how what about january 6th when you look at that and you see where we are what what are your what's your um what's your reaction what are your thoughts the most irritating part about this this january 6th stuff is honestly what they've been doing to uh, some of these, some of these guys over the last week, you know, since in the 30, 40, you know, 20 years in jail for shaking a fence and being pissed off about an election. Uh, and, you know, and, and all honesty, that in collaboration with, you know, what they've done to paint this insane narrative. I mean, it's insane to me. Um, you know, granted, I'm not one of those guys who, uh, will stand here and say that, you know, everyone was doing the right thing and that everyone should get off scot free and that, you know, this was just, it wasn't that big of a deal. I mean, it, it wasn't as big a deal as the left portrays it to be. I don't think there should have been freaking committees dedicated to this. Um, it's all political nonsense. And I, but, but, but the good thing is, Ed, that like, I think the left has been caught and they, they think so little of people like you and I that they've been playing this games kind of in broad daylight for who knows how long. Mm-hmm. And I think we finally got them. We don't have them cornered. But I think enough people are paranoid enough in our country because of what happened with COVID uh, that they're starting to question, okay, uh, why should I believe what they're telling me to believe? Why are they overtly telling me what to believe? Uh, you know, things like that. People are getting a little smarter. Uh, and I think that the the left is may have, may have uh, overshot here. And that's a really promising sign for our country uh, because if we hadn't figured that out, we'd be in deep trouble. 
it's a good point. It's a, it, it, if you're going through it, and so you know, I, mean, I know you didn't mean it like this, but if you're going through it, some of the we're talking Kaylin Door again as our guest. Uh, some of the folks going through it are like, yeah, the world may be learning how bad it is, but I'm you know getting sentenced to jail. I mean, it's one of the things where you you sort of raise the stakes. The election is about a lot of things, but one of it is you know one one candidate's going to pardon some of these guys, and many of these guys that were uh, wrongly uh, accused and and sort of tortured. So, well, listen, Kaylin Door, thank you. We're out of time already. Kaylin Door again, founder and CEO of Baldor Strategies. That's his company uh, has worked over in senior levels with Getter and is now at Tusk and was on Donald Trump's team in 2020 as well as in the White House. So thanks. Uh, we'll talk again, sir. Appreciate it. Thank you, brother. Have a great day. You too. All right. We'll take a break, everybody. We'll be right back. I'll put up on social media the links there and be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report. A daily commentary continuing the conservative pro-family legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. The House Foreign Affairs Subcommittee on Oversight and Accountability caught up with Joe Biden's climate czar, John Kerry, to ask a few obvious questions. Kerry's answers were more alarming than anything genuinely caused by forever changing weather patterns. The committee chairman, Representative Brian Mast, Republican of Florida, asked Kerry, are you planning to commit America to climate reparations? That is to say, we have to pay some other country because they had a flood or they had a hurricane or a typhoon or a wildfire? Kerry's response to Representative Mass's question was a very curt, no, under no circumstances. But a close review of what Kerry publicly stated elsewhere suggests that there could be a mental reservation lurking here. Well-known to philosophers, biblical scholars, and legal experts, a mental reservation is an incomplete response due to a perceived greater good by relying on a private interpretation of the question asked. To reduce this, the oath taken by members of Congress includes the phrase, without any mental reservation or purpose of evasion. In the case of Representative Mass' question, we have to pay was the premise connoting a legal obligation that Kerry denied. But voluntary climate reparations are definitely being considered, and they are on the agenda for the upcoming United Nations Climate Change Conference, which is scheduled to occur on November 30th to December 12th in the oil-rich kingdom of Dubai. Kerry's testimony was little more than an empty assurance to continue his world tour designed to make Joe Biden look good while doing little to actually change carbon emissions. Representative Scott Perry of Pennsylvania, who was bullied by the deep state when they seized his cell phone while on a family vacation, showed that he's not intimidated when he interjected in Kerry's testimony to explain why world leaders give lip service to the global warming agenda. Perry said, because they're grifting like you are, sir. Truer words have never been spoken, and more members of Congress should be stepping up to bring attention to the taxpayer dollars wasted on John Kerry's pointless crusade. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. In 2016, the conservative movement lost one of our strongest leaders, but Mrs. Schlafly's work and her voice continue through this radio program, our work in Washington, and the influence you have in your own community. Be part of that legacy at phyllisschlafly.com. We encourage you to bookmark phyllisschlafly.com. And join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. 
Great to be together. Don't forget, visit ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com. Sign up there to get our uh, daily email, the daily wink, what you need to know, as well as other great information. All right. Uh, I wanted to pause and tell you a little bit of a story, things to watch. In the next month, just about a month and a few days, uh, there will be a an election in Poland. And the election in Poland will be their annual elections and uh, there is a two. There are two parties. There are many parties, but there are two major parties. Uh, one would be the more conservative party, and the other would be the more liberal party. So there are uh, there are sort of a, a Democrat. There is sort of a Democrat party and a and a Republican party in Poland, although they have a parliamentary uh, type system. So there are lots of uh, of again. There's the number of ones that come after that. Um, the the one is one party is uh, initials are in Polish P I S Law and Justice Party. That's the party that's uh, um, kind of in power now and has been uh, for uh, a long time. And uh, and then the um, and then within the multi party system uh, the uh, the the rest of them there you can find a list of them and and I don't even know the oh, the full uh, title of uh, all of them but the but the more liberal one that is um, that is led by uh, Donald Tusk is um, called the let me get it right the Civic Platform Party P O initials in Polish and so these are the two liberal and Democrat Tusk was a is a globalist guy he was at the U uh, the E U for years and. Um, and the other party uh, is uh, PIS is more considered more conservative. It is more conservative. So here's what I want to tell you. And here's why it's so interesting. In St. Louis at the Eagle Council later this week, we will have as a guest a very prominent conservative uh, who is a leader in Poland. His name is Jerzy Kwasniewski. Jerzy Kwasniewski. He's the president and the founder, one of the founders of what's called the Ordo Juris Institute. The Ordo Juris Institute, and he's an attorney. I mentioned, and and basically, the Ordo Juris is a conservative think tank. Over there, they call them NGOs, and so they are entities that like nonprofits that we have. But the Juris, the excuse me, the Ordo Juris has played an extraordinary role in building up the conservative movement in Poland. Because in Poland, just about forty million people a little bit more than 40 million people now, they're trying to hold on to their conservative Catholic culture. That's a Catholic nation. They have battled uh, invaders. They've battled occupiers. They've had to survive occupation, all these kinds of things. And so there's a real fight. It's kind of like America. I hate to say it. It's kind of like America 30, 40, 50 years ago before we lost a lot of our uh, uh, sort of uh, liberal battles or lost the battles to the liberals. And so he's coming to St. Louis and he's going to speak on pro-life, but he's also going to have a chance to meet with uh, January 6th. We'll have January 6th defendants and lawyers there. We'll have uh, conservative leaders of all different types. And he's going to speak. And uh, one of the things we find with these uh, opportunities is just spending time together it becomes a real value. But here's what I wanted to say. Watching Poland face the challenges that are happening there, they also feel it also feels to me like they're about 2015 in terms of what's happening to their country in this way. The onslaught of the bureaucrats and the EU and the powerful interests out of Germany, uh, it's extraordinary to see. You know, about five years ago, we had Dominic Tarzinski, the member of the European Parliament now from Poland. He's a Polish. He was then a Polish uh, legislator in, his, in, in Poland, in the nation. And he came to Eagle Council. And at that time, he talked about how they were you know, turning the corner, that they had all this leadership. They were going to have a new thing. Well, at this point, what it feels to me like is that you're watching the media 
and big tech and then big government. You know, it's the same narrative machine. It's a little bit different in terms of the players because the big government players in uh, in in the life of people in Poland, the big government really is the EU who keeps coming down and saying, if you don't b- behave the way we want, we're going to take away your opportunities. We're going to take away the the money that you paid into the EU that you're supposed to get back. We're going to take that away. We're going to we're going to inhibit uh, your businesses from competing. That's what they keep doing. And so big government, if you say the narrative machine, you think I'm going to talk to to Jersey about this when he comes as my guest uh, at the Eagle Council. Go to EagleCouncil.com and find out more. Jersey Kwasniewski. And I'm going to talk to him about this because the narrative machine in Europe, the narrative machine facing Poland, said more accurately, is big government. That's the EU and all the governments around them. Germany. EU is basically dominated by Germany. Big government, big media. And big tech, a big a big tech, big media. They're trying to force Poland to change their media r- rules and laws to try to silence voices. And then big tech, big tech is the real problem. Big tech is trying to dominate through the EU. So, and the narrative machine is trying to get Tusk, in my opinion, into power. The liberal, more liberal guy to try to get him in power to try to influence what the future of Poland is, because Poland has been holding the line in lots of ways. And let me tell you one way. In the last couple of days in Poland, the whole country celebrated because there's a family named the Oma family. And the Oma family was a Catholic family, mother and father, seven children, and they were murdered by the Nazis. But they were murdered because why? Because they, they helped and hid Jewish families. And the Oma family is this extraordinary young couple who were murdered. And had but had this extraordinary life, and Poland celebrated all the. It wasn't like it wasn't a Catholic ceremony; it was a Polish ceremony. The beatification it was happened a few days ago on Sunday, September tenth. Extraordinary. The Polish culture is conservative. It's it's Catholic, but it's conservative. It's family based, and the government is fighting for those values on behalf of the people. And now they're being attacked. It's a it's a hugely important election just coming up in about four weeks in Poland. So watch that. And I will report back next week uh, from this very um, well-known and gifted uh, attorney and leader, Jerzy Kwasniewski, who will be in St. Louis. Go to St. Louis Council. Excuse me. Go to EagleCouncil.com to find out more about his visit. And I'll report back. And uh, it's a very important one to watch and, and learn more about. We will take a break. And uh, excuse me. We won't take a break. We'll be back tomorrow. I wanted to say thank you. I'm looking at my notes. Thank you to uh, Ryan Height and Mason Mohan for producing the show. Please visit ProAmericaReport.com and sign up there for the daily email. And we will be back tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here on the ProAmerica Report. Talk to you. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.